On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Marillion's Besides Themselves. Welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands, album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Tom Corcoran and Ken Gregory as we finish out our revisit of Fish Era Marillion with Besides Themselves. gentlemen welcome back to finish out officially the fish era marillion with b-sides themselves a an album um i believe it actually comes up in the blurb that we will read from wikipedia but an album that was released while fish was still in the band and whether or not they knew he was you know ultimately going to leave remains unclear but uh this is an interesting one right because this is a band that, you know, as I understand the lore, sort of built their following in the beginning and, and even throughout, you know, on the strength of their, their singles game. So there was always, you know, a lot of, of clamoring for these, these singles, and apparently they had a lot to do with the band in the early years. So, you know, it's it's an interesting little compilation. There, there are a lot of little odd bits and pieces about this album. And, you know, I can remember, you know, at getting into Marillion. Again, we talked about this. We were right around 20, I believe, at that point. And, you know, at, at that point, you know, as you... And this was, you know, pre-internet days. So the the speed with which you acquired knowledge of and information about things like this was a lot slower than it is today. Um, all you crazy kids listening out there, you won't believe us, but I mean, you, you had to sort of find these things on your own. And for us here in the U.S., for a band like Marillion, you know, this was not something that was you know readily available in your wall-to-wall sound or, or wherever and so it, it it became a bit of a you know an ahab's white whale situation because i and i don't remember all the specifics because we all know my memory is absolute garbage but i do sort of remember the fact that i knew this existed and i wanted it and it may very well be i had seen it there was an, an import record store in wilmington delaware i used to go to on my way to and from um, school. And I probably saw it in there before I ever bought it because it probably cost, I don't remember what imports cost back then, 25 bucks or something like that, which was, you know, a crap ton of money, you know, way back when. And so I probably looked at it and drooled over it for a while. And, you know, what really, what really drove me, not that I knew a lot of the songs, but I knew you know, I don't think you could know anything about Marillion and not know at least about Market Square Heroes and Grendel. Like, Grendel was, you know, for it, 
somewhat naive, impressionable young listeners, you know, the, the big prog checkbox was the, the epic song, right? Ooh, it, this is this is the Marillion epic song. Got to go get this. And um, yeah, so I got it. And, you know, I liked it. I, I've never regretted owning it. Um, you know, it, it, it's not... If I get into a super-duper Marillion mood, I'll put it on just to sort of complete the set and listen to it. Some of the songs do stick with me more than others. Uh, the last time I was actually in Europe, I was in uh, I was in Belgium, I was in Antwerp, and I was walking around. I found this spectacular vinyl store. It was great. It was a it was just a spectacular store. It was had all sorts of good stuff in there, and I re the the guy was playing some fantastic like you know. I don't even know what kind of music it was. It wasn't like normal rock and roll music, but it was it was just spectacular. And I ended up buying a couple of the 12-inch singles on that shopping trip. I haven't pulled them out yet to remind myself which one. I think one was Punch and Judy. It may very well have been. Um, I'll have to pull those out and, and look at it. But, you know, so I actually have a couple of these singles. And um, but this was this, this is a, a fun little compilation. And I, I know last week when we, we did Clutching at Straws, there was some discussion off air about, you know, do we really want to do this at the end? Maybe we should put it at the beginning because, you know, Clutching at Straws is, you know, such a, a perfect sort of exclamation point and everything else. But I feel right now today and I've felt actually for most of, of the past week, that I think this is appropriate. There's there's nothing wrong with sort of going out with, a, and I'm not going to say levity, but maybe a little bit more lightness than we've had before. And, you know, this is this is the, the last thing they released in this era. So I, I feel it's appropriate to leave it at the end. And, and I intend to approach this episode personally with, you know, with, with a, an open and happy heart. I agree. And I, first of all, uh, I want to thank you for pushing this episode. I know I was very torn. I've gone back and forth a couple times about this episode. Um, and I, I uh, you know, at first I was for it, and then, uh, you know, last week I, I was one of the ones who was sort of a little skeptical about it because I, um, it's it's an album that you you need to take a little differently because it's it's B sides, right? And you know, it's it's sort of, and correct me if I'm wrong. Have we done an album like this before, like a B side album before? We we've done B sides themselves. Ken and I did it. Solo, well, duo, way back in the day. So you've done this this album. We've we've done this album. Yes, it's it's in the That's catalog already. I have no oh. recollection. Okay. <laughs> wow, wow, I I did not know that. Uh, well, anyway, uh, thank you for pushing this because it was something. It is very important, I think, in the Marillion chapter. Because, I mean, this, it, Marillion really embraced the whole B-sides and the 12-inch and the, I mean, and the singles. I mean, they, they really, um, they, they, they really embraced this. And so a lot of these songs come up in, 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 in different pieces. And they certainly come up in the live, um, in the 
the live albums and 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 whatnot. These songs, I I find this very interesting when you listen to these songs, how much you recognize them from from other releases they've done, like live albums Mm -hmm. or or different things they've done. Uh, and, and you're like, oh my gosh! I thought this was on script, you know, or yeah, I've 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 listened to this and been like, wow! I I thought this was on you know script or or, or Fugazi, and you you don't real you don't realize that this is a, a B side. So uh, it's it's interesting that um, I'm I'm glad we're doing this. I, I've had some of the reasons, uh, or one of the reasons I was torn. It's because I'm torn by these B-side albums in general. Yeah, uh, I'm. If you look at you know an album like King's X's Black Like Sunday, I mean, I'm, I was not a big fan of that album. Although King's X can do no wrong as far as the, you know, for, for the most part, anyway. Uh, you know, an album like that, I just feel uh, for most most of the time, bands, I feel. If they didn't release it, that they shouldn't release it. You know, sort of like the rush mentality. Yeah, I mean, and, there's there's usually a reason it's not on the album, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, you know, but I, I have to say, I really, really enjoy this album, <laughs> and I, I I think of this as a lighthearted Marillion album. It's fun. It's it's uh, upbeat. It's especially after clutching, right? Okay, right. I mean, I mean this is just like a breath, and and it's it's not like it's it's new material. So they were trying to do something, you know, lighter. I mean, it's it's going back into their catalog. But a lot of these songs are just really, um, they don't take themselves seriously, which is as as seriously as they have in the past two albums, which is nice. I mean, the serious stuff is, is great, but you know, it, it it it's it's really nice to hear this side of Marillion. But it's to me, like I I think a lot of these songs, I can see why they didn't make it onto maybe you know certainly at least the last two uh, albums. But um, you know, I I find a lot of these songs have commercial appeal in a, in a strange way, especially a song like Freaks. I mean, there's just really um, loud hooks, and just it's very accessible to me. And I I really enjoy this album. I I bought this in a secondhand CD store uh, back in the day. It was probably a place in Boston. There was a number of places in the late '90s that I would go to in Boston, and um, I got it, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm just buying this because I'm a geek, but I'm probably not going to like it because I'm just, you know, uh, I just buy crap like this, you know? So I, I wasn't really expecting much, and I love the cover as well. <laughs> <laughs> the, <laughs> cover's, the cover's really good, and, yeah. and you know, the, the, wikis do it, the wikis do a good job of – of explaining what all the little bits and pieces are, which I think is nice. Yeah. I mean, they, they always do such a good job with their, with their covers and this was no exception. So I picked it up and when I listened to it, 
I I enjoyed it. Now it didn't stick. It didn't stick like some of their other stuff. But I mean, it, it's not supposed to. Again, this will be a common thread tonight. But you know, it, it, I think it's a, for a B side album. Uh, it, it is is quite enjoyable, and this is an album that I do revisit um, every every once in a while. And I there are songs on here that I still blow my mind that it's a it's actual that it's actually a B side. So I don't know. I, I I'm 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 glad we're talking about it. Cool. Now, Ken, hmm. you were. You were an individual who was not entirely pleased with the the heavy subject matter that was that was clutching at straws, and I seem to recall that the first time we did this, this was not something that lit up your Christmas tree either. So, what was what was the past week like with with uh, with besides themselves this time? Uh, for starters, I'm fascinated that singles and besides have relevance in 1980s uh, Brit Prague. I mean, we, we, we spent uh, the greater part of a year talking about Pink Floyd. We didn't talk about singles or B-sides. Likewise, Rush, Genesis, and Yes. So it's, it's a bit fascinating that they had to go down this road and that it even worked for them, but apparently it did. Um... I suppose I'm lost in the novelty of it all, but it is not pushing the magic buttons of Prague that I normally seek in this podcast. The lyrics are damn good in a few places. I'll give Fish that. Yeah, it's it's funny. I don't know, and I don't know overall that the lyrics sort of you know get me all cranked up in in the way that some of the the album lyrics have. There are moments. In this, where I'm like, "Ooh, that's a good one. I like that," and, and there are certain phrases that will get stuck in my head and sort of rotate around a little bit. So, but um, yeah, it's just it's like I said, I, it's I, I don't know, it, it, it's I, I don't want to say Marillion light, but that's kind of what it is. It is. It is. It really is the punk version of Marillion. I'm glad you um, brought up punk because that's in one of my notes that we'll get to when we get there. Oh, you have to. I mean, if you go back and you listen to Maiden, there are parallels between Iron Maiden and Marillion rhythmically yeah. due to the huge punk influence on the scene in Britain. Oh, we'll have to look it up. But the original drummer of, of, of Maiden prior to, to Nico McBrain was very punk in his style. And I think, I think, frankly, if we look back at, you know, the music that we played in Jay's basement for years, we had very punky interpretations of rock and, 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 and prog, very bouncy, almost new wave. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are sections of Grendel that sound very new wave. Yeah. We'll get there. Let's do this. Excellent. So, Ken, is there a lot of context? I, it wasn't a very big gap between Clutching at Straws and this coming out, so... Well, June of 1987 uh, was the release of Clutching at Straws. So uh, we've already marveled over that year. Uh, Roger Waters' Radio Chaos was right before Clutching. Following that, A Momentary Lapse of Reason, Hold Your Fire, Big Generator. Kind of It's a big prog year. For us. Yeah, I mean, 
it's the peak of commercial Prague in that sense. And, you know, for us at that point, we are um, in our senior year of high, the fall of senior year at high school. So we're, we're, we're not aware of Marillion at this point, but we're very aware of pop Prague. Yep. Right. Okay. 1988. Uh, this is huge. Uh, Operation Mind Crime is in May. Um, Delicate Sound of Thunder was in November. That would have been our first year of college. Uh, and besides themselves, believe it or not, did not make the timeline of progressive rock in Wikipedia. Interesting. Uh, maybe that will be our first edit. Okay. <laughs> but besides themselves was released in January, 1988. January. And then later in June, actually. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? It is fascinating. I love that. It's like, hmm, very, very odd. So, so cool. As we, as we just mentioned, Besides Themselves was released uh, in January of 1988 on CD. The vinyl, LP, and, and cassette versions came out in June of 1988. I guess someone said, hmm, maybe we need to put this out there. I don't know. It was, you know, and, and that was sort of the beginning of the, the crossover time where CDs were, you know, killing everything else. Was released on the label EMI, produced by Chris Kimsey, Nick Tauber, Simon Hanhart, and Marillion, presumably depending on which song you're talking about. Personnel include Fish on vocals, Steve Rothery on guitars, Mark Kelly on keyboards, Pete Trovavis on bass and backing vocals, and the ever-popular three-drummer lineup. Mick Pointer on uh, tracks one, two, and nine. John Martyr on tracks three and four. Those are the Fugazi tracks, essentially. Um, and Ian Mosley on five, six, seven, and eight. The track listing is... Grendel, Charting the Single, Market Square Heroes, Three Boats Down from the Candy, Cinderella Search, Lady Nina, Freaks, Tucks On, and Margaret Live. B-Sides Themselves is a compilation of single B-Sides by the Brit British neo-progressive rock band Marillion, which was released on CD only in January 1988. This was the first time that those B-sides were made available in the then still relatively new compact disc format, with the exception of Tuxon, which had featured on a limited edition CD single of Sugar Mice that was only sold at concerts. However, vinyl LP and cassette versions were issued in June 1988. The compilation includes Market Square Heroes, originally the A-side track for Marillion's 1982 debut single release, but here is included because it was re-recorded for the B-side of Punch and Judy, 1984. Three mm. Boats Down from the Candy was originally the B-side of Market Square Heroes, but the version on this album is the re-recorded B-side of Punch and Judy. Also included is the 17-minute epic Grendel, originally a B-side on the 12-inch version of the 1982 A-side Market Square Heroes single. Are you confused yet? Besides themselves would turn out to be the last Marillion record to be released, while singer Fish, who left in October 1988, was still in the band. I'm amazed that you got through that as quickly as you did. It took me a while to read that. I was reading that earlier. And... I was like, what the hell? I was just, uh, I mean, there's so much going on there. 
And um, I actually had to read that a couple times to really um, let, let it sink in. Well, it, yeah, I, I want to just – Yeah, go uh, ahead, Tom. Uh, one thing that, that blew my mind, and I didn't know this. Usually I'm the, I'm the last to learn these things. But I, so Market Square Heroes was released before Jester. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I never knew that mm-hmm. until like 20 minutes ago or, you know, right, right before we started this. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like reading this going like a side. What? What a side. Um, so yeah, I mean, in 1982, they, they released this and uh, that was, that was before script. So I, I find that I, I found that very interesting. And, and it's amazing that the, the single that started it all, and like Ken, to your point, it's almost like in a time warp because we know that, you know, bands like, you know, Pink Floyd started out with, you know, they had a, a single or two or three. Genesis did the same thing before they recorded their first album. But by 1983, you know, you wouldn't think that was necessarily the way to go. But here we are. So they released Market Square Heroes. And the fact that it then shows up as a B-side on on the single for their second album is just kind of, it's it's an interesting twist to the whole thing. As we get into this, right, and we've already done a little bit of a preamble, but but Tom, I love when you sort of, in the lead up to Palaver episodes, when when you put out these little floaters on the uh, on the group text that sort of wet my appetite because sometimes I, I just I don't necessarily understand where you're coming from and some of the reactions you get are you know different from mine and so I'm always very very curious so this week you did it with Grendel and, and it was a couple of days ago. When you made the statement, and I'll, I'll paraphrase because I don't really feel like pulling up the exact quote, but you said, with Grendel, Marillion did what Genesis always tried to do. And then you went on to say that, you know, you were just in some sort of euphoric state around this song. So I'm, I'm really curious, what about Grendel connected with you so strongly and then what was it that Genesis achieved or that Marillion achieved that Genesis was not able to achieve? I feel that Grendel sort of leaves off where selling England by the pound, you know, finishes in okay. a way. I, I mean, I know that Fish is very open. Actually, everyone in Marillion is very open with the fact that, you know, they were inspired by Genesis and you know we can all hear that we can see that you know oh, you, yeah. you know you know the makeup and and things like that so they're not shy with <clears throat> saying that they were very inspired by 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 genesis and i i think that this is a song that i think they wrote very early in their career and they just by being so close to the music of genesis you know, they they wrote something that close to yeah. sounding like sounding like Genesis. I mean, there's really no other way to say it. I say that with you know respect, you know, but I mean, it, it does sound like uh, something like Genesis. But I particularly enjoy it because sometimes, I, as much as I love early Genesis, Grendel has a little bit more space 
and we talked about this a little bit last week with clutching, or not about clutching, but we, we, we talked during the clutching episode uh, about how uh, there are interviews with the members of Genesis saying that, you know, it was sometimes hard to write songs because a lot of the music was so busy and they realized, oh my gosh, now we have to have, you know, Peter Gabriel write lyrics over all this. And, and, and it was, it was sort of, um, it was um, interesting at times for them to sort of get, get structured material out of it. So I, I think that being that Marillion were, were so close to Genesis, they sort of took that and they, they was a little bit of an evolution and with paying respects to Genesis, they, they were, I, I don't think they set out and said, okay, we're going to do something like Genesis. They were just doing what they thought, you know, they, they were just doing what they were doing, but they, in my sort of warped ears, my warped head, they did something that at times is a little bit more refined because there's a little bit more room for the vocals and there's a little bit more space. I, I really do enjoy Grendel because of the fact that I love Peter Gabriel era Genesis. I don't feel that it's a close for comfort. Like they were sort of ripping them off because I know where they ended up going as a band. And I, there's obviously, you know, differences, but I, I love it because it makes me, think of older Peter Gabriel era Genesis. And I feel like they're paying their respects to, to them, but they're also refining some things because they've got, they've, they've had some distance on it. They've got, the, they, they've had years of listening to Gabriel era Genesis and they sort of um, maybe didn't go with some of the same, they didn't have some of the same issues that Genesis had um, because they were sort of starting at a, at a, a later date. They, they were starting with all their experience. Right, right. Yeah, so, they, they had the full catalog to, to sort of digest. And I, I really like where you're going here, Tom, because, I mean, in, in my sort of myopic field of vision, I couldn't see past, you know, you always hear the... the um, the, the comparisons to Supper's Ready based on song length and, and the uh, the Apocalypse section, which is a, a pretty dead ripoff. But I like where you're looking at it from a more holistic Genesis perspective. I think that's really, really key to 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 this. And and obvious I mean I think it's obvious to me, in the entire recorded Marillion catalog, we know that there, you know, there are the, this heavy Genesis influence. Grendel, to me, is the most Genesis-like track that Gen that Merlin ever recorded. I would definitely agree with that. Yes, I mean, you can't help but come with, with some sort of parallel when Fish sort of goes into a certain falsetto. And, you know, it definitely sounds like that era of, of Peter Gabriel. And, uh, you know, see... Normally, if a band did this, it would piss me off. I mean, I mean, let's face it. I mean, you know, if a, <laughs> one band does something similar to another band, you're like, oh, come on, come up with your own shit. But they, it's different enough where I'm, I'm comfortable with it. And I, again, you know, the, the band evolved 
uh, you know, several times, you know, ma many times over into, you know, something different every few years. So I, 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 I don't, you know, hold that against them, but I, I sort of embrace it and I, I, I enjoy it because, you know, I love these early era Genesis uh, albums. So, and, you know, I, I just think it's, it's weird. It's sort of like hearing a Genesis song and then, you know, you're sort of participating in it in, a, in an interesting way. And I, as weird as Grendel is, as weird as the song is, I, I do find it engaging and I sort of am, I, I'm, I'm I'm sort of in it hook line and sinker even even the studio version which you know we were talking on the on the thread this week about not being as good as the 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 live versions but you know it still sits with me you know it still it still gets me every time I listen to it so and again you know you have to listen to some of these earlier songs with a grain of salt but we do that with every band that we listen to you know I mean a lot of the earlier stuff we sort of give a little bit of a pass if it's you know not quite evolved to to where they eventually go but um yeah i just i just think it's a it's a it's a it's a fun listen kingdom come comes to mind right kingdom come basically just tried to rip off led zeppelin right right i mean that's there's there's really not much else you can say about them at that point sure. and and it it didn't feel like they were influenced by that they were like, it felt much more calculated than that. I think when, and, and maybe I'm giving Merlion the benefit of the doubt because I just adore Merlion so much, but I, I think when you talk about very young musicians who are still learning their craft, there is a lot of their influences that can percolate through in what I will describe as a legitimate way. It, I, it's not like they're trying to create a Genesis song, but that's what, what inspired them, and that's what is sort of percolating in their brain. And so that's sort of what comes out. But the other interesting thing about this, well, there, there are two aspects on that. So one, Genesis themselves, when faced with you know a dilemma of trying to get themselves signed, tried to rip off the Bee Gees to make sure that they got the deal that they needed. <laughs> so you know it's not like they're squeaky clean. In, in in their history. I mean, this this happens. You know, you do what you need to do right. and, and and everything else. But the other thing that I find interesting about Grendel, and I don't honestly know at what point in the 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 history Grendel was written and started to be performed, but not only does is Grendel the most Genesis sounding of Marillion songs, it also it, it's 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 a pastiche of the entire early Marillion catalog itself. So a lot of the the tropes and motifs that they're going to use as they do um, certainly script and Fugazi maybe you know and, and that ultimately morphs into misplaced and and um, clutching at straws. They show up here in different points, which I think is kind of cool. So you're you're looking backwards and you're looking forwards at the same time and sort of seeing the stew come together. That's I find it to be to be fascinating. I, I think that's a, one of the reasons why I ended up being excited about talking about this because there was just a, a real um, there were some real bookends here. I mean yeah. considering I mean Grendel is the B-side, the Market Square Heroes, 
which was their very first, which was released before script. So, I mean, and then, you know, we're, 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 we're talking about it at the end of this fish era. So, um, yeah, I think this is, um, they're, they're B-sides, but they're very important B-sides in the world of Merlion. We're, we're beating this Genesis trail to death, but it's interesting because, you know, when we talked about, I believe it was We Can't Dance, which was the last Genesis album with Phil, there was a lot of discussion on tracks on that album and some of the B-sides that came out at that point and how, you know, in some cases, some of those songs may have been better. But I, I do think it makes sense to me why some of these tracks weren't on the album. And, and in some cases, you know, we made the statement, there's often a reason a B-side is a B-side. But these are, I think these are strong B-sides, which is presumably why there was a market for this record. And, you know, I think there's there's definitely some value here. And, and so I, I, I genuinely enjoy Grendel. It was one of those things where when I first heard it, it wasn't everything that I had expected it to be. It wasn't Supper's Ready. It wasn't Close to the Edge. It wasn't Shine on You, Crazy Diamond. It wasn't any of those. But it, you know, it's, it, it, it certainly is enjoyable, and, and I'm very happy when I listen to it. You talk about the live versions. I'm, I'm sad I've, I've had a bit of a crazy week at work, and I haven't had the opportunity to play the second disc of the of the Mick Pointer live version of, of script where he does him and, him and his band do Grendel and, you know, market square heroes and the, the, the B sides from this era. So mm. I, I didn't get a chance to listen to that this week, which makes me a little bummed out, but how did we talk about Grendel for 10 minutes and not get to the words? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, there, there there's a crossover between some kind of a carnivorous beast and a rock band, or the leader of a rock band, and there, there's this this odd, you know, fantasy meets their reality, and it, it it's quite childish. Are are you guys into the lyrics? You just kind of ride with them as they go by. I, I just kind of ride with them. The only the only time I ever really react is when they talk about the mossy lair. I just think that's funny. Um, much in the same way when we covered the epic poem in school, it was one of those things where I don't think I ever actually read it. I just kind of skated through based on notes that we talked about in class and, and knew enough to pass the test. <laughs> huh. Okay, fair enough. Um, so... Uh, lyrically, it shows you snippets of what Fish has done throughout his nine years with Merlion, but on its own, it it doesn't lyrically stand. Do you want to defend it, Tom? <laughs> uh, no, because I mean, I mean, think about it. I mean, this is one of the first songs that they probably wrote. I mean, I mean, in their career so i mean the fact that they came up with something like grendel i think is pretty impressive but i, I think that they were still finding their their voice so to speak and, and fish was finding his uh, his voice and his lyric style and uh, and he's he's telling a story um and so he already had a a, a template if you will um which yeah I, I guess doesn't really matter but um you know i i don't have a Mm -hmm. 
problem. I mean, I don't see this as a fish, the typical fish descriptive, uh, just the, the wonderful descriptive uh, you know, prose and, and, and the, the style that he developed um, later on. I mean, it's, it's a little bit different than that. But again, I, I, I take it a little bit differently and I mean, I, I'm enjoying the music. I'm, I'm sort of enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, th- does it have the same impact as some of his best lyrics? No, but it's it's still enjoyable. And yeah, again, I mean, the fact that this is one of the first songs that they that they that they wrote is is pretty impressive to me. So I I, I don't know if I have any real um, defense for the lyrics um, in that in that aspect bringing this home to us you know when we jammed in jay's basement in the early years we had a song called die in your dreams which is a bit of a macabre sort of story or a potentially bordering on the edge of you know dark themes and uh i just liken this to the the die in your dreams of merillion it's it, it's it's over the top it's a little weird but you know we can we can love it for what it is I think that's fair enough. Um, see, all right, this is the thing here, guys. Grendel on this album is almost a, a different animal. I mean, this is you have this is the real, really the only prog song that you would consider prog on the album. It's a long song, has all sorts of the the, the proverbial prog things that you love to hear and and whatnot, but. The rest of this album is completely different. And I almost think of this album as sort of like King's X's, you know, sneak preview before they were King's X. It was sort of like a more poppy version, uh, a more accessible version in some in some aspects than King's X. And when I say accessible, I'm saying after you listen to like aside from Grendel, okay, put put Grendel in another place. The rest of the album, and I guess and with the exception of the last live song, I think there are very sort of um, poppy, lighter melodies and lighter subject matter. And so I, I I think that you know we really need to understand that this is a a hodgepodge, if you will, I mean, of songs because they wrote them at all different times and, and whatnot. But I mean, Grendel, as, as, as you know, dark as it is, when you get to these other songs, uh, it, it's interesting to me that, that, you, that you really see another side of Marillion that we didn't always see in the, in the four studio albums, mainly in, you know, songs like, you know, Marketplace Heroes and, you know, freaks, and I mean, there's just a lot of like bouncy songs, okay. And um, so I, I think that um, we, you almost have to take these each song on an individual basis, more so than you would on a on a normal album, because on, on an album there would be continuity really within the album, and 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 this one is different. But I going over this in my head throughout the week, I, I was really sort of putting Grendel. Um, in it, you know, in a in a in a different place, but I I can definitely see your. Um, I got a place analogy. for it. Yeah, I got a place. I got, I got a good place. Okay, yeah. I, I I've I found what it is I was looking for. 
Uh, the original drummer in Maiden was Clive Burr, and they released uh, Number of the Beast in uh, March 1982. And by October 82, that Market Square Heroes single was released with Grendel as a B-side. So I'm going to posit there had to be some occult macabre influence in the lyrics of Grendel and somewhat in the music, a la Iron Maiden. So I think, you know, and, and Tom, you made the point that Grendel is the only or the most prog song on this record. So keep in mind, one of, one of the hallmarks of, of, of prog, at least according to the palaver, is quote-unquote, and I guess we're stealing this from um, the, the, the guys on Leave That Thing Alone, Hobbit shit. And <laughs> so what better way than, than an Anglo-Saxon epic poem Beowulf, right? And so while we were talking, I, I pulled up and, and reminded myself the, the general story of Beowulf. So it looks like comparing the lyrics to Grendel, the story of Beowulf, um, basically in the story of, of Beowulf, um, Beowulf comes to to stop Grendel from ravaging King Rothgar's realm or whatever the case may be. He and his his soldiers hide out in the Great Hall. Grendel attacks, and then um, Beowulf mortally wounds Grendel, who then goes back, dies in the Fen or whatever it is, and then um, Beowulf comes, kills Grendel's mother, and removes Grendel's head. The based on what I see here in the lyrics, the <laughs> lyrics go up to the point where Grendel is stalking outside uh, Rothgar's great hall. So, thank you, Joe. There you go. So, Hobbit shit. <laughs> Hobbit shit, and 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 literally Hobbit shit. In that you know, one of you know, if you want to follow this thread and pull on a little bit more, one of the you know, one of the things that. Tolkien is known for is his um, his his work on Beowulf itself. So there you go, literal Hobbit shit. But maybe we should go on to the next song and really lighten the mood a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so you you go from from the seventeen minute um, swamp monster and and I I have to say, and this is just me, and it's very it's almost perverse, but I. I can't hear Grendel and not picture Shrek in my head, which is, it's wrong, and I know that, and it's, oh. but it's, it's just, that's what happens now. Um, so we go from that. Oh, the, the last movement of Grendel is epic, Rothery. It slows down, and it gets really dramatic, and I just wanted to give props. That's my favorite moment. Not, not the apocalypse in eight, or whatever it is that they do. Yeah. But the end, the end, I think, gives you a much better preview of what's to come. Yeah. And we go then into charting the single, which is, talk about Marillion Light. Everything about this song is very simple, and it's not bad. It's not spectacular. It, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a song, right? I don't know. I, I do like Fish's spoken word bits. Um, but the, I, I just I didn't really catch anything in this song that made me go wow. I find it very interesting because it, it, it is um, you know Marillion light and, and it is Marillion on a, on a different level. I I was listening to this today and I it did remind me and I think one of you guys just brought this up that it reminded me of like a, a pop British eighties song like that mm. that 
what you would hear. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering, like, wow, like what direction? And then I listened to some of the other songs, and I mean, they really had a, a, a wide gamut here. I'm wondering what they were thinking when they were writing some of these. If they were, if they thought they were going to try to do something more poppy with their career, or you know, I mean, with Grendel, obviously not. But I mean, so, I mean, with Grendel, they sort of like went for it with like you know a, like a twenty-one twelve thing. They just said, "Screw it, we're just going to do what we want." But it, it makes me wonder if some of these lighter songs was more of a cognizant decision where they were like, "Okay, you know, let's let's lighten things up." You know, again, you know, maybe like even like the the sneak preview album that Kings X did before they were Kings X. You know, maybe they were trying to you know go in some different direction and it was more of a, a, th- a thought out process because I mean charting the single is like nothing that n- any of us have ever heard from <laughs> Marillion and again I still like it yeah it's, right it's, yeah I mean, I'm a I listen I'm a I'm a fish junkie and I, I I I really like the simplicity here and it sort of makes me crave the 80s in, in a weird way and you don't I've never said that about Merlion before. Merlion's always been like a on a different planet, and you sort of think of Merlion as a as a completely uh, separate original entity. But when I listen to some of these songs, like charting the single, and I it makes me reminisce about the eighties, and so it, it it's uh, I, I I find it very interesting, and it's. Um, it's a it's a it's a fun listen. So I guess the key word for me is fun. It is fun. I agree, hundred percent. Shall we broach the words, the puns? Sure. Who doesn't like a good pun? Get a pizza. The action instead of get a piece of the action. When I Romeo again, I guess he's like Rome, roaming. Uh, Chianti, see you with me. Can't see you with me. So just let him wine, but wine is spelled like the beverage. So la- <laughs> layers and layers upon puns in here. So, so really, uh, you need to read it and not necessarily hear it. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, as more of a musician than a poet, I'm listening to the music, and a lot of what Fish does goes over my head under the best of circumstances. And this truly everything is lost unless I can read the words. Well, there you go. The key to appreciating charting the single is to read it. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe it's good that fish got better about picking the songs and lyrics that transmitted those, uh, those little hominin word plays and, and whatnot better than some of the others. I, I can I find it, interesting because here you have this sort of British pop song, but then you have all these interesting puns to get, to give it that a little bit of depth that you wouldn't hear uh, like an actual song on the radio in the eighties do. So I, I, I find this very, very interesting. So then we go into market square heroes. Interesting, interesting song, because again, this was, this was the original single. I, I'm always curious when a band decides to re-record something 
what what motivates them to do that you know were they unhappy with the original recording at this point we have had you know mick pointer leave the band so is there some you know legal reason where we want to have a recording without mick i don't know i just i always i'm always curious when you get something like that happening and to me and i i haven't i haven't taken the time honestly to to find the A-side version of Market Square Heroes and compare and contrast. But this, just listening to this, this sounds very much like a song that was re-recorded. You know when a band does that and it's just, it's never quite the same. I mean, King's X did it on, what was it, Goldilocks, I think? Yeah. You know, and and the, the Fix famously did that with the the hits from their first album. They re-recorded them with the then current lineup um, for wow. you know, part of a, a part of a live album, and you know it, it's it's always close, but it's not quite the same thing. And for whatever reason, it, for me, it never really lands quite as well as the original. But this was this was mm-hmm. the this was the place where I put my my note that it feels a little punkish, and. You know, I guess that makes a lot of sense if this, you know, if Market Square Heroes was their first single, you know, presumably there was, you know, I, I guess when you're when you're out playing live or whatever at that point, you know, that's that's a lot of what you were up against or or next to or hearing as well in in those types of venues. So it, I guess it it's probably very legitimate that that comes through. And it it's probably makes perfect sense that it would be maybe a little bit more prevalent in the the first song than than maybe some of the other ones where they started to sort of develop you know their own brand of progressive. I, I always found this song to be very danceable. I sort of do a little dance when I hear it. And I sort of like I do a little Scottish little jig around the kitchen when yeah. I, when, I, when I when I hear it uh, and. You know, it's um, again from me from here out. The, the word is just fun, and it's just a, it's it's just a, a light song that I have fun with. And then you can still find depth in it. Yeah, and that's and that's that, that that's the you know brilliance of the of of the band we know is Marillion, old old and new. But uh, you know, I I think that you know when when I hear the song. I get a smile on my face and I dance around, you know, it's and hard not to. I, I, yeah. And so, you know, it's not, it's not going to go down as one of the, my most, you know, profound, you know, the, one of the more profound songs I listen to, but it's, it's fun. And I, I really get a lot out of it. I do enjoy, you know, and, and we've seen this before with other bands, right? In, in their some of their early songs when everyone there there's always someone who's a little bit ahead of the curve right and is is playing more densely than than the other members of the band and in this particular case right Pete is like off the hook man Pete's just going kind of crazy which is it's kind of funny I like bro it when... got new strings man <laughs> what's going on there man he's yeah this is the most Pete you're gonna get in the early years. It's really fascinating. Apparently, they knew some guy named Brick, who was very politically vocal or something, 
And they attributed this guy, Brick, to being a Market Square hero. Uh, Mark Kelly said, I don't know whether Brick was a lefty, a militant, or a skinhead, but he was the inspiration for the character singing, I'm a Market Square hero. Fish called him a lefty hero before he uh, performed the song in Aylesbury in uh, Reunion in 2007. So this Brick person died in 2011, but was, in fact, a real person. Uh, and it, it, it's meant to be a song about a charismatic leader in the face of increasing unemployment. So this is a good tie-in to what we spoke to uh, in our Pink Floyd episodes, where right. while, while, while we romanticize music from this era, particularly leading up to the final cut, there, there, there was a great, what you would call, recession in Britain, and uh, it's reflected in, in in the punk movement and the uh, disenchantment of the kids, and that's what that's what they're poking at here. And, and does anyone have the lyrics pulled up for this? Is is the line "gathering the storms to troop"? Yeah, I don't understand what that means, but it is troop, T R O O P. But it, it's interesting that he uses that turn of phrase, and by the time we get to 1987 in white Russian, we're having a such a visceral reaction against um, neo-Nazism, and, and you know because gathering the storms to troop is very very close. Yeah, that's scary. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's that's odd. You know, you know, it's it. Yeah, it, that just that always leaps out at me when when i hear that but but you know mm -hmm. talk about a little bit of sonic dissonance because tom you're right you're dancing around your kitchen and you know fish is singing about you know this 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 dude who's you know you know advocating for whatever it's cool he says i am your antichrist show me allegiance <laughs> are you following me so it's 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 three years after uh the law was released so definitely catching a theme in prog rock through this period. Yeah. Three boats down from the candy. This is, has been, and probably always will be, will be one of my favorites. I, there's something about this song that just gets me going. I don't know what it is. Um, and I would be hard pressed to describe exactly why I'm so fond of this song. But again, I always have been. Um, you know, there, there's just, it, it never really goes anywhere. Just the, the ambiance, the feel of it. I think if I were, is this the first one with, with Mosley? I think it is. And, and once you sort of get that, that core music group together and they've, they've started to figure these things out, I think it just comes together really, really well. No, actually, this is another redo with the new drummer. So this has this has the middle drummer as well. So this song actually dates to um, the script era, um, but it, it is really good. And I love like here, here's one of the, the lines that always gets me um, lyrically. It's a social disease. It's the new moral cancer, or the new social cancer. I just there's something about that when he sings that it gives me kind of goosebumps. I can hmm. definitely hear this in the script for a Jester's Tear era. Uh, I was going to say that this, I think this song to me is the most Marillion sounding song in this, in this whole, you know, fish era, because I think that has a little bit more of the, it's not as out there as Grendel, but it's not as, you know, 
poppy of some of the other stuff that's all that's on this album and i think that uh, I, I can definitely hear it on that album but it also reminds me of fugazi in a way because at the end you sort of have that big theme that that comes out mm-hmm. and you're you're waiting for it it's a it's building and building and building and then when he comes into the you know the whole the whole line there i mean it's just it's glorious i mean it's it's a it's a wonderful it's a wonderful song and in in that sense and so i i um you know this is to me um the this is this to me is marillion in this era uh, some of the other songs i still i i love a lot but i'm i'm, I'm surprised by them and um you know we'll talk about freaks and all bit but you know i'm 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 really i'm i'm loving it but i'm surprised this i'm not surprised because it sounds like it's from that era and i can see why it didn't quite make the album but it's a it's real close i could i could see if it was just added to the album i would have been just as happy with the album uh, I, I wouldn't have been thinking oh gosh what is that last song on the album they should have got rid of it I I very much enjoy the song. So um, this is this is this is a this is a nice one too. In the solo section, um, you know, leading up into that, it's one of the it's one of those things. You know, it's it's one of those examples that we talked about. I think it was in the last episode where where Rothery and Kelly are sort of operating cooperatively and and it just it it works so well i absolutely love it and then we go on to cinderella search so this will be the first one with mosley and you know i was i was normally i listen in preparation i listen you know either you know at my desk i'll have it playing on the system here or in my car when i'm running errands or something and i'll kind of listen to whatever album we're doing over and over again Today at lunch, I, I put this on, um, you know, my, my better set of, of, of headphones and listened to it. And this song came on and I just had to make a note. Pete's bass is huge <laughs> when you have this on, on headphones and you've listened to the other four tracks at this point And this comes on, you're like, holy crap. <laughs> I mean, it's cool, but it's just like, it's very sonically different how massive the bass is in this song thanks for that insight i didn't catch any of that i I, i've listened to this for years and i don't know i guess i never listened to it on a decent set of headphones and so i was absolutely stunned when this happened to me today so go check it out it's uh it's worth it song to me definitely feels like a b-side and if i had to pick my least favorite song on this album it would be it would be this one. Although I, I, I do like the verses. It's just, I mean, the, the, the chorus really, um, really fades out. And I don't think they knew what to really do with the song when they were writing it. It just seems like can, a I song can, that... I can see that. What's that? I, I can definitely it, see that. It just seems like a song that they needed to write to get to another level. Mm. I mean, there are a lot of these, you know, songs we talk about in bands you know if it wasn't for this song they wouldn't have done this but that the the original song is is not it's not that great and so i, I and this is just uh, you know when, when you're when i'm listening to it i'm i'm, I'm sort of I'm, I'm i'm still enjoying the album but 
it's definitely sort of a lull for me, and uh, I'm I'm not I'm not a big Cinderella search fan. Yeah, I'm with you. It was a B side to He Knows You Know. I'm not even that huge on that song, uh, but in comparison, He Knows is kind of epic. Cinderella search just leaves me grasping for something, looking for a hook, looking for something. As a vehicle to get to another place, I don't know, being comfortable in that mid-tempo kind of ballad region, perhaps. There is, a, for me, There's this is another example of uh, there's a lyrical moment, too. And I, forget, it's, I think it's in the back half of the song. But he, he talks about maybe it was infatuation or the thrill of the chase. Maybe you were always beyond my reach and my heart was playing safe. I just... I, I like that. You know, it's one of those things where once I've, I sort of teased out those lyrics, I'm like, Ooh, those are pretty good. So Joe, thanks for pointing out the lyrics. I never saw this before, but we do get a mantra at the end. Mantras. Uh, where, where he says, always the cue sheets, but never the nets, never the nets, never the nets. And then he changes it to nevertheless, nevertheless, nevertheless. Not, not, not bad. Not you know? bad. No. And, um, you know, he's, he's warming up his, his mantra game at that point. I'm, I'm so glad that we stumbled upon the Marillion mantra theme when the first time we went through this, um, although we did it more with Hogarth. But it, it's fun going back into the fish era and, and, and keeping an eye out for that. So then we move on to Lady Nina, which gives us the prostitute as protagonist, which is always a, a fun sort of theme to do. I, I'm always sort of amused by amused if that's the right word by this song because i feel like it's it's the second camera angle a companion to some of the prostitution parts in in misplaced childhood right because the um it was bible black and leon when i met the magdalene etc 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 and and this gives a different sort of perspective on that part of the story it's connected to the story but it's it's very clear to me why it's not it it would never have fit in that portion of misplaced childhood itself but it is you know a part of the story in in a way interesting i i didn't know it was the b-side to um kaylee i i love the song and i think my only qualm i have about this song is that I love the chorus so much. I love the melody. Oh, yeah. And what he's doing here. It totally gets me. But he only does it, they only do the chorus once. They do it like a second time, but it's a different rendition of the chorus. Yeah. It's like a, a slightly, they, they take certain elements of it, but it's, it's not quite what it was on the first chorus. And I, I think that I would have loved for them to have revisited this song and tried to do something and, and tried to put it on misplaced childhood because i i i think it would have fit if it was it just you know made some sort of alt, made some alterations if you will uh, but i whenever we get to, whenever we get to the chorus of this that that first chorus i'm like wow this my my thought process is this i get to the chorus and I'm like, wow, this is such a great song. And then, like, 30 seconds later, I realize why it was a B-side. <laughs> <laughs> it, doesn't, 
it doesn't finish and it doesn't it doesn't finish the job but the bones are all here i would have loved i mean i i i can see it being uh, i can see it being different and uh, it's sort of growing from here and i it's almost like i so it it's sort of fun to listen to when you can sort of imagine where it can go and you can sort of participate and in, in a certain way and <clears throat> and and think about where it, it, it could have gone but i i love this chorus and um the this song really does it for me and 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 i think lyrically fish doesn't even land this song either it you know it, it's there's this the subject matter lends itself to a certain sort of tawdriness but but there's a there, there's a genuine sort of affection or quality that's expressed here that's nice. And then he has to finish it up with, you know, was it all right? Did you, did you come tonight? What did I, did I do it for you? Yeah, it's just like, oh, bad. come on. Did we have to go there? You know, it just, it, it sort of shatters the whole illusion that we're working with at that point. So that, uh, that doesn't really work for me. And, and, you know, I, I will say just sort of qualitatively, for me, this is from a sound perspective, though the most dated song, I think, on this album. This this song just screams, I was made in the 80s. Yeah, it's got a very odd, artsy, British pop 80s thing. It could almost be Krista Berg or, or Karma Chameleon or something. I don't know what's going on here. But... <laughs> Yeah, and again, it's not bad. It's done well. It's just, it's, you know, it, it's something that I just, I made a note of. So I brought it up. Okay, well, that's enough Culture Club. Let's move it <laughs> right along. What are we going to evoke ABC, Ken? Ha. Huh. We could um, yes. we could invoke Ultravox and Midjour and still keep some of our, oh our cred. Oh, my God. <laughs> I listened to um, Dancing with Tears in My Eyes recently, and it blew me away. Really? So, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. for whatever reason, Mitch Yours got some some definite uh, credibility going on, um, even though he came out of that whole sort of new wave, new romantic sort of thing. I mean, there, I, I like all those British cats. Brian Ferry. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's so much class and, and so much stuff going on. You know, I, I was once asked if there's any genre I'm embarrassed to like. Well, you know, we're outed as like Les Mis fans here on the podcast. And Joe, you and I are outed as Duran Duran fans. So, you know, it, 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 it's not a reach to talk about, you know, all the, the, the similar artsy fartsy new wave pop of that era oh yeah absolutely i was actually i was in the grocery store the other day and duran duran came on i had a big smile behind my mask it was great <laughs> 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 you know and, and, and yeah that's that's a that's an interesting little side story right because when when we got into that and i think we both got into it for the same reasons some of the girls we knew in high school were big durannies you know so you want to hang out with the girls, and so you end up listening to Duran Duran, and eventually some of it sort of sneaks in. You're like, hey, this isn't so bad, um, regardless of, of what they look like. And um, so, yeah, you know, just, you know, I've always been sort of unapologetically pro Duran Duran, 
even though it's you know it, yeah they they had some peculiarities to them but there's something there and and I actually saw them 2010 I think it was maybe and it was a really really great show nice but oh yeah we're not here to talk Duran Duran we'll do that sometime but not uh, not today what we will do wow. is we will move on to freaks all the best freaks are here please stop staring at me what a joy this song is. <laughs> My God. Take it oh. away, Tom. You know, you have a, a magic word there, Joe. You said unapologetic. Uh-huh. Okay? That's what I think this song is about, uh, being unapologetic and just saying, we're freaks. Bring it on. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is where all the best people I want to be, all the best people I want to be with are right here. <laughs> and I have this thing with my my daughters. You know, they they always call me a freak when they're upset about something. Oh, you're you're a freak. And I'm like, thanks. I'm like, thank you. I'm like, <laughs> I, I think that I'm like that's a compliment. And they go, oh, now now you're really a freak. And so, and I will sit. I I, I will sit at the table and or or something, and they'll call me a freak, and I'll I'll sing the song. And then, you know, they sort of roll their eyes and just, you know, the, like a weird dad look. And, you know, lately, because I knew we were going to be doing this this album, I've been cranking the song when I'm like <laughs> doing the dishes or something. <laughs> I was in the car, I was driving back from picking my daughter from school. I was like, oh, okay. I, just, I cranked the song up and I was like singing it. I think my kids were, were might, might, might have started to to like it a little bit because they, they, they stopped complaining about it when I play it. <laughs> when I, my daughter first heard the song was just last week. My, my daughter's like, Dad, why does he sound like you? <laughs> <laughs> there we go. And I was like, yep. oh. Uh, so, um, and then, so that made me sing the song like 10 times louder. And, That's right. But I love this song. And this is just such... This is, uh, I mean, this is like a talk about a mantra. This is should be every every freak every freak's theme song, and um, you know it's just it's just a again. I mean, what a basic word to say, but it's just it's a, it's a fun it's a fun song, and it has depth though. I mean, it really does have depth. It's a, it's a different way of saying something. Somebody has a certain idea about you or you have a certain idea about them and you're sort of doubling down on it by saying all the best freaks are here. And I, I love that. And it's, it's just unapologetic and it's, it's a great chorus and great, great hooks. And again, I'm like listening to this going, I can't believe this is, was a B side. Like why I, I, I said to myself, this has to have been on script. And then I look on like you know at one point like years ago I would look on I looked on the Fugazi uh, my Fugazi CD I mean like maybe like ten years ago when I was like listening to it and going like are you sure this isn't on one of the first couple albums because it's sort of once you hear the song and that it gets in your head all the best freaks are here you never forget it I'm wondering if it may have been a mistake that they didn't put this as a single because I think um, 
I mean, it doesn't have the weight as you know the, the sort of the, the, the great Marillion uh, songs and albums that we love. So I, I don't know if this you know would have catapulted them into you know some sort of different stratosphere. But this is I think this is a very hooky song. It's a very poppy song, but it has depth and it, it has balls. It just it's a pop song with balls, and I I adore the song. Outstanding. I like the enthusiasm. There are a couple of lines mm. here lyrically that, that make me kind of chuckle or at least make my ears perk up. So very first line, have you ever met a lady screaming angst potential? So we all know one of my trigger words is angst. Um, so I'm forced <laughs> to sing it every time that I, I sing along with this song, which is, you know, gives me a little twitch. And it's kind of funny. And then on the this, the second verse, um, I'm sorry, on the third verse, airport terminal patiently waiting on the last call. And maybe that's a bridge at that point. The The cadence of that and the attack on that patient or um, patiently waiting on the last call, it, it's, it's very aggressive. It's very catchy. And it, to me, it, it sort of fast forwards a little bit into all of the bar motifs that we're going to find from clutching at straws. Again, I'm not going to suggest that this catapulted fish there lyrically, but it, it seems to be connected in some way as I look at it from the distance of many, many miles and many, many, many years. All right. So freaks is a much better live song, I think, than it is a studio album because obviously the audience is going nuts. Yeah, and <laughs> and, and, and and it's appropriately sequenced at track number seven on "Besides Themselves" as we kind of leave the constructed art frog and go into the more poppy live unbridled tunes that they uh, like to throw in occasionally to their live sets. Um, I got to say, I am a fan. I'm going to make a a Genesis analogy to uh, I Know What I Like in Your Wardrobe just because it's an unexpected kind of live arena song that came out of nowhere that you didn't necessarily expect from the band. Yeah, it, 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 it's a real winner in my book. I must wish I wrote. And shall we uh, proceed to Tux On? Let's go to Tux On. A spooky tale of macabre. A cautionary tale, if you will. Beware <laughs> of excess and things that occur with that. Because if you have a big windfall and you get too big for your britches and you start doing lots of drugs, you're going to wind up dead in a casket, wearing a tuxedo. So, not a good thing, really. I, I like to talk about the beginning. I believe this is yet, similar to Freaks, this is another B-side from Misplaced Childhood that, that really would have screwed the album had it been on there. It wouldn't have made any sense. Oh, yeah, none at all. Right. Uh, but this is Chris Kimsey and his dynamic glory. The, the beginning starts out very quiet. So I, 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 I'm going to cite this as the beginning <laughs> of the volume knob plague of Marillion. We, we have identified the onset. <laughs> yes, yes. 
And we're doing our contact tracing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too funny. The, the first Merlin song, let's start. It's way too quiet. Which results in uh, turning up the volume too much and eventually blowing out your speakers. Now, now Tuxon is apparently the B-side for Sugar Mice, by the way. So it is a Clutching at Straws era um, B-side. Okay. Well, you know, talk about cautionary tales. Uh, Sugar Mice is a cautionary tale in itself. And, and, and I, I, think, <laughs> I think you could view, you know, the, the entire arc of, of Tuxon almost... The uh, protagonist's profession is is different, but you could almost view it as the Cliff Notes version of Clutching at Straws. There you go. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But but you know now it, the music the music is really good. Yeah. Uh, you know I I would say that the music in Tuxon is poking at holidays and even. even. It is. Yes. Even, there's something. Yes. There's something rock and roll in here that I'm really keying into, and I, I want to hear more. I think Holidays in Eden is an excellent call out. You know what? You know what it reminds me of? What? Yeah, you know what it reminds me of? Um, this won't do much for our, our listeners, but um, it reminds me of Paul playing. Like, he, he sort of like Steve Rothery has this sort of riff going on, and it's like a real wet sounding delay. And it reminds me of, uh, you know, uh, Paul Zotter um riff that you know he he, he might have been jamming on in, in in jay's basement and so i sort of um think of think of paul when i when i hear this but i love the simplicity of the music and everything sort of fits right in the perfect place and i guess if you're not i can see where this song would get on your nerves but if being like a fish fan like i still love it but i mean it definitely had it's so bold it's so like it's so fish it's almost annoying um but i i can i i still love it the hook is bad it's it's terrible it's unabashedly you know yeah i mean it, 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 it's 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 it, <laughs> It's not great, but I I still have to say when this song comes on, I'm singing along. Um, I'm even I mean I can't get it any further up after Freaks, but like it's already mm. like the volume <laughs> already the volume is already really high. I'm never turning it down because I'm still enjoying myself. So I think for any Marillion fan, you know if you especially if you love Fish, you're gonna go along with the song. And regardless of how sort of annoying the 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 chorus is, so you'll take it with a with a grain of salt. But I I, w I would go so far as to say, yeah, this and Cinderella Search, the, these two are definitely feel like B sides. But I mean, I again, I have a great time when I listen to the song, so I I just love it. Cool. I I, I agree. I love it too, even if the the metaphoric imagery is a little bit obvious for fish. If he's going to beat you with a hammer, it's going to be a very delicately sculpted and intricate hammer. Here, it's just a big hammer. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah it's not even a British hammer. It's like an American hammer. It's it's like it's it's yeah. It's a go down to your your corner hardware store and get a Stanley hammer, mm -hmm. basic issue, and uh, mm -hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's swinging. <laughs> he really is. But I mean, it, he does. He does convey a story, no doubt about that. We'll give him. We'll give him credit for it. I, and I almost wish the album ended here. Well, and and so I was going to say, Ken, <laughs> you have in recent, uh, you know, recent the last several months, there have been a couple of episodes where you have opted to basically end an album before the album ends. I'm going to I'm going to pull that mulligan here because <laughs> there there is I mean unless I'm like cleaning the kitchen or something and I can't get to whatever's playing this to to move on to something else, there is absolutely no reason to listen to Margaret. There is nothing <laughs> here for me at all. It, what? Why? And and not only is there nothing here. We can catch that vibe in any live, really. And yeah. So, and, and not so only... Some, some of the mo... Not, not only oh, is there nothing here, the fucking song is 12 and a half minutes long. <laughs> Jesus. It's like... And and it, it, how did I describe it today? It, it's... Well, I mean, clearly we're missing some Scottish culture. I mean, there's a reference here that uh, I guess you, you didn't. I was hoping you'd look it up. I'm trying to find it. It encapsulates. But folk song. I, I'm sorry. I said it encapsulates everything that I hate about pandering live performances. And, and, and I understand when you're in the hall and there's the back and forth and he introduces the band and everyone gets to yell and there's something easy that people can scream back at you it's wonderful and it's energizing and you know if if i go back to the marillion weekend and all the scottish guys are loaded up with their beer and having a grand old time but i'm in my living room right now all this nonsense does not work for me it's the exact same issue that i have with the with the with the overblown grandiose bloated versions on yes's union live it's the same exact bullshit yeah i i agree with you guys and you know there are moments in here that i do i do like that little scottish jig and and whatever but i when earlier when i said my least favorite song was Cinderella search. I, I don't really. You don't count this. this. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't count this. It's like, uh, um, it, it's a live song on a, a B side album. So it, you know, it's. I've gotten enough out of the rest of this album where I feel comfortable, just you know, checking out at this point, um, and I, I can still say, all right, that was a wonderful listen, but yeah, I'm definitely checked out. After 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 tucks on and um, I don't always get through this the song I will will turn it off at a certain point if I can get to the get to the dial myself so I I I agree with you it's you know, it's a, I I think they could have I mean listen Grendel's what uh, what sixteen minutes or, or 16, 12 minutes 17 or minutes yeah yeah I mean you have enough uh, material on this album. Uh, I mean, Grendel's such a, a, a beast alone, and then you have a lot of other wonderful material in here. You really didn't need to put a live song that was not superb. I mean, they have yeah. they've done enough Ooh. great live things Ooh. where they, 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 they could have put something better. Right. But I would just say, just 
I would have just taken it off altogether. And, and I was looking at the the running time is listed as just shy of, of 60 minutes for this album. So if you take a 12 and a half minute song off, you still got a 40, 48 minute record, which is plenty. That's all you need. Mm. But, but but it's still longer. It's still longer than misplaced childhood and and clutching. Yeah, exactly. So so Ken, you bef before I rudely interrupted you, you were going to uh, attempt to provide us some cultural context. Do I recall? Yeah, thanks to Merlian Nations on Blogspot in two thousand two. Mark Kelly commented on the online forum at Merlian.com. The title was changed from Scott's Porridge. To Margaret gets her oats. Uh, Doris gets her oats is is a uh, something said by uh, uh, I believe John Lennon at the beginning of a Beatles song. Uh, after a friend of Stephanie, aka Steph, drummer Mick Pointer's girlfriend, who also ran the website for a while, <sighs> called Margaret. So this would would have been after a friend of the drummer's girlfriend got laid for the first time. It was later shortened <laughs> to. It was later shortened to Margaret. So it went from being Scott's porridge to Margaret gets her oats to being simply Margaret. Now, Marillion's original touring van was christened Margaret. It was green. And they supposedly put an obituary in the paper when it broke down for the last time. So uh, all of the lore just matches perfectly with the random childish inane playing that is done here but uh, you know the recording quality is amazing i mean if if god i it makes me wonder what else was played in this particular concert because i think i would be willing to buy the whole thing right. <laughs> yeah. it's really good quality and i'm just you know uh, well i mean the guitars and the voice sound really good the, the drums are a little thin but you know i'll take whatever i can get you know and live stuff so it was recorded and, at the edinburgh place playhouse on uh, in april of 1983 apparently not bad for 1983 yeah. wow we, we were recording to cassettes in 1983 coming with shit yeah i don't know what they recorded to or how they got this mastered but it sounds really good you know, I, I got to say, though, I mean, as far as my punk references earlier in, you know, this does kind of tie in the punk rock and roll improvisation weirdness thing they had going. And this, you know, this stuff played in a bar sells shitloads more alcohol than that goddamn prog. Right. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 it, yeah, it, 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 it's money-making, drinking music. Get down to the club, get your drink on, and shut the fuck up. And, 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 and that's what I was trying to say. Like, I, I get that it's part of the lore and mystique of early Marillion as a live act. And it has import in that regard. I, I'm just, you know, that's not my experience. And so... You know, and I'm, I've I've been a crotchety old man regarding you know live performances for a long time. Anyway, I'm I'm on record very vocally being against you know virtually all solo performances in any concert that I go to see. I don't give a shit about drum solos. I give very little shit about 
you know, extended guitar wankathon solos. Um, I don't give a shit about uh, keyboard which solos. This <laughs> What's that? The very first thing you hear on this is Rothery doing some oddly modal wankathon. Right. So, you know, it just, it, that is not what excites Joe. And, and I, I don't, I, I feel like it's a waste of my time when I go to a concert. And so I'm certainly not going to waste my time sitting in my own living room listening to this either. But, but that's me being a cranky old man. And I accept that and I admit that and go on with it. And like I said, I will, I will certainly, um, acknowledge the, the, the place in the lore for Marillion and why it's here. So, oh, I'll, you know, cool. In, in, in my spirit of, lighthearted openness that I uh, said I was going to have earlier rock is good time. And maybe I'll try listening to it sometime when I'm like drunk off my ass and it'll be more fun. The two songs bastardize in Margaret are lock Le Monde and Murray's wedding. And apparently the audience knows the lyrics. So they're having fun. Yeah, and maybe it's another cultural thing. We're just missing out on here in the U S Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we don't go to enough football games, so we don't we don't know what it's like. But you know, Clearly. some of this stuff, yeah, some of this stuff that they're shouting sounds like you could very well shout it in a soccer match. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really does, and so I think you know that even if we don't listen to the very end of the album, this does sort of close out, you know, the the fish era of Marillion in a a very lighthearted i don't want to say frivolous but um you know uh, whatever the word i'm looking for is way it's it's not it's not heavy it's it's more celebratory how about that got it celebratory i love it and gaelic and and very gaelic nice. And which is which is all good, you know. I'm a I'm a big fan. So that brings us to the end of of B sides themselves, which is you know. And again, I think you know we talked about it at the top. I'm I think it I think it's appropriate that we put this on here. And you know, Tom, I gave you a lot of shit for putting this on the in your Marillion top ten albums, and I think I would still give you shit for that. But we've sort of canonized it now, so. If nothing else, the party foul has been absolved. Well, it's interesting you bring that up. I, In my head, I was thinking of one of you guys asking me this question. Okay, do you still <laughs> at number five? And I was thinking, like, what, you know, what am I going to say? How do I still feel about it? And I, I really enjoy this album. I mean, maybe I would put... Seasons end, like right in front of her or something. I mean, there, there there might be something that might squeeze in, like one album. But I I just love, I love Fish so much, and I love the spirit of this album, and I just um, I'm enjoying myself when I when I listen to it, and I I probably would keep it in relatively the same place. You know, maybe stick one. Well, okay. Let let me let me say one thing first. Uh, I, I definitely would put marbles in front of it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, the full version. Listen, when I when I wrote my list, when I wrote my list, I was I was on set. I was literally literally recording audio 
to some corporate sh schlock, you know, uh, somebody was talking mm. about, you know, some, some ridiculous thing, but I had to pay attention. So I was writing my list down. I was just sort of annoyed in general of like, you know, whatever weird sound situation I was in, I was sort of in a, in a, in a mood. So, uh, you know, my list was a little bit more tongue in cheek than maybe yours, but it's still, I still love this album and I, I still would put it generally in that area. So maybe put season's end and marbles in front of it, but it's still going to be in that area. I think, right. I think that's legitimate. Ken, sorry. Well, nothing much to do, Joe, except for you to give a teaser for what's coming next. Ah, yes. So next, and this is, this is where we're trying something a little bit different here in our next large segment on progressive palaver. And, you know, based on there, there was some practical concerns as we hatched this up in terms of looking at potential recording schedules. But it, it also, once, once you propose the idea, it, it made a certain amount of sense. And we've, we've alluded to it a lot already. So this connection between Fish and Peter Gabriel. And so the next segment that we have is sort of parallel tracks in chronological order of the Peter Gabriel and Fish catalogs. So I guess, I guess, you know, doing that chronologically, we're going to start off with a few Peter Gabriel albums, and then we're going to be basically ping-ponging back and forth between the two of them as we get into the, the latter part of the 80s and beyond. So that's going to be very interesting. And, and, you know, one of the things that always entertains me as we go through these segments is is creating and recognizing and and sort of articulating these narrative arcs that go through the development of these artists and i'm very curious to see a couple of different things here one you know how how do fish and peter gabriel throughout their careers line up with each other do, does that connection remain does it ebb and flow and, and the other thing that I'm very, very curious about, just because I, I own most of the Fish catalog, I have spent a lot of time listening to a decent part of the Fish catalog. I'm not going to say that I am intimately familiar with all of it at this point. But I have gushed at great lengths in the Marillion, in this revisit of, of Fish era Marillion, on Fish's lyrics. And I honestly don't know if if he's able to maintain that level of of lyric cleverness intensity engagement throughout his solo career so i'm very interested to see that and obviously you know it, it brings in so many different things because you know it, peter gabriel is going to have crossovers you know, because they're they're he's on a parallel track with Genesis as well, and so we're going to have to bring a lot of different threads in here, and I think it's it's probably going to make us work a little bit more. But that's what we've got coming up next, and I'm very very keen to sort of get into that. Nice, can't wait for that. So that's yeah, thanks thanks for rolling with this. I've uh, been thinking about it for a while. Yeah. Yeah, so so Ken, you get the credit for uh, for uh, not only proposing this idea but advocating it 
you know, when, when you met some resistance and, you know, doing what you needed to do to sort of say, Hey, this is what I'm looking at and, and finding ways to communicate that to us. So I, I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. And, and I guess the other thing is, you know, in the first couple Peter Gabriel albums, we get to bring in Robert Fripp, which, you know, it's the first time, well, I guess it's not the first time we we've, we've touched uh base with, with Tony Levin before. So it's not our first, um, glimpse into the possible world of King Crimson, which is is this scary mystical land off the edge of the map for me. And and anytime I get a chance to get close to it, it's it's always very enticing for me. So I'm very, very keen to start all of this. But that's for next episode. So everyone can sort of hold tight until until that comes out. And we will then so next episode we will start with Peter Gabriel 1, or Carr, as it's called. But, gentlemen, I do also want to pat ourselves on the back and thank you again for revisiting Fish Era Marillion. Again, something that we covered in the very beginning of the palaver before we really had the format and, and the way that we inter interact now. And I think this was, this was worthwhile. It was fun. It was great to go back and listen to all this music, and I look forward to uh, to going ahead and, and listening to some more good stuff. So, gentlemen, thank you as always for your your input and your collaboration, and uh, look forward to further palavers. hope you've enjoyed this episode of Progressive Palaver. As always, we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you, and we welcome and solicit your thoughts, comments, feedback, and questions. You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We are at Progpala on all of those, or search for Progressive Palaver. You're welcome to email us. Our email address is progpala at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and presumably wherever you find your podcast. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening.